members, it's now time for questions to the Minister for Finance. But first of all, a number of questions have been withdrawn. Question five um, by Mr. Jerry Kelly, and topical question three by Jerry Kelly, and topical ten by Dolores Kelly. And uh, I now call um, Paula Bradley to ask the first question. Ms. Bradley. Thank you. Question one. I guess Iram Serenaira Aragadish on Fragra Horchai could now call the Minister for Finance. I'm pleased to say that a further 12-month non-domestic rates holiday has been fully implemented and is now providing a further £230 million worth of support for businesses dealing with the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. This package of support goes well beyond what has been given in England and demonstrates the Executive's commitment to providing certainty and support for businesses. It means the additional rates support provided to business over two years amounts to more than half a billion pounds. The legislation for this additional holiday came into operation on the 7th of May. The regulations provide details of the businesses who are eligible for this support, helping to ensure that some 29,000 businesses continue to have a rates-free period. Call Paula Bradley for a supplementary. Thank you, and thank the Minister for his answer. Uh, Minister, can I just ask then, have we any indication how this will affect the overall budget going forward, especially that for local councils? Well, the, the local councils' intake and rates is protected, uh, as it was during the last uh, financial year as well. Uh, so in many ways, it's, it's actually a benefit uh, for them uh, that that rates income, if, if a business happened to fail through the course of the year, that rates income has been protected for them. Uh, it, did, uh, it did cost us, as I say, over half a billion. That was from COVID money that came to us uh, as Barnet consequentials from Lutton, so it wasn't out of the original baseline budget, it was additional COVID money. Uh, but nonetheless, it's very important for those businesses, uh, and quite a lot of them had identified that as the, the, one of the primary requests that they had in order to secure some certainty for them going forward that that bill was taken off the table for them. I call Melissa McHugh. Minister, just uh, given the executive's reliance uh, on rates, uh, do you agree that the Fiscal Commission provides an opportunity to consider other sources of funding uh, uh, in an effort to raise uh, revenue here within the uh, six counties? Well, the, the Fiscal Commission has, has just begun its work. I was pleased to meet it uh, last week uh, just to get an update from uh, what was happening with it. And of course, it will be looking at, at the totality of, uh, of, of fiscal powers that may become available to an executive. And of course, that would involve, if, if such a proposal was put forward and agreed by the executive, it would involve then a negotiation with Treasury. Uh, but rates bring us in about 10 per cent of our, our budget, uh, and clearly they are a very important source of revenue for the executive and are used to support our public services. Uh, but I think, yes, it is very timely that we do have the Fiscal Commission looking at the broad range of powers that may become available to us and that there is an informed debate within the Assembly and, and in the public generally in relation to those. Called Kelly Armstrong. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Um, Minister, uh, will you work with the Minister for Communities to lobby the Treasury to allow councils to utilise capitalisation schemes given the additional financial strain caused by the pandemic? And can you reassure the House that businesses won't face a cliff edge at the end of reliefs in April 2022? Well, firstly, if, uh, we, we regularly engage with Treasury on behalf of a range of departments. So if the Department of Communities have such a request, we're more than happy to work with them on that and to engage with Treasury. Uh, I mean, we, we've had 
the, uh, we've had the initial uh, year-long rates holiday and then we were able to extend that. At the start, we thought it may be just for six months. We were then, because of additional COVID money, able to extend that for another. So that's two, two full years rates holiday, which is a very significant contribution to a lot of businesses at the cost uh, of in around half a billion pounds. We don't have any uh, projection for any further additional COVID money going forward. Uh, so I have to say that I, I think beyond that period, it's very unlikely that we will have money, that type of money to, to give for support for business. Of course, we have fully funded the rates recovery, or the, sorry, the economic recovery package uh, that the Department for the Economy are bringing forward. Uh, and that hopefully will stimulate uh, businesses so that they can get back to a level of trading, which means they, they're in a better position to meet any other bills that are coming in. Pat Catney, for your cash, I call Pat Catney. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Minister, um, we do welcome uh, whatever help has went out to small businesses, but looking at the re-examination of non-domestic and regional rates, it must feed into that broader examination uh, of Northern Ireland's fiscal powers and how they match the long-term economic challenges. It's to give businesses any chance in recovering from this pandemic, Minister. Well, the, the look at that non-domestic rates uh, is ongoing, and, and we are beginning a revaluation exercise at a much uh, shorter time frame than ever has been done here before. Uh, and that again was a request from businesses that they didn't want that sudden uh, jump in, in rates, uh, you know, that sudden redistribution as, as the revaluation exercise do between various sectors. So it will take account of the pandemic. Of course, we continue to engage with businesses, and I did uh, over the last number of weeks engage with some of them in relation to ongoing uh, uh, review and reform of the, the rates generally. With the rates holiday, it was almost unnoticed that there was an 18% reduction in non-domestic rates, which was very much welcomed by other businesses who couldn't avail of the rates holiday. But we'll continue to engage with business. We'll do the revaluation exercise, uh, and we, we, we look to how we can improve the, the rates picture because we know it's a vital part. Uh, of, it's a vital part of income for us uh, in terms of public services, but it is a significant bill for a lot of businesses. Here, Mayor Karen Mullen. For your cash, I call Karen Mullen. Thank you. Question number two, Minister. I am planning to keep non-domestic rates under close scrutiny as we emerge from the pandemic. My Department's 2019 review of business rates was undertaken in completely different circumstances to that now faced by our economy. The review did provide some important insights, and I am pleased that significant progress has been made in respect of many of the issues highlighted during the public consultation. The overall high level of business rates and the balance of business rates to domestic rates were raised uh, as issues during the public consultation. In response, I have reduced the regional business rate by 18 per cent for 2020-21, and in addition to this, I have held the rate at the reduced amount for 2021-22. I extended the small business rate relief scheme and restored the rural ATM relief scheme in response to feedback received. I have also made two changes that have been sought to assist district councils in relation to district rates. And finally, I recently announced the revaluation of non-domestic rate property, which was another issue highlighted during the consultation. As you are aware, rates are one of the few revenue-raising powers available to the Executive to generate funding for vital public services. I have established a fiscal commission to examine the case for increasing fiscal powers available to us. I thank the Minister for his answers so far, and I also welcome the Minister's commitment to ensuring that the rates bill for businesses has taken into account the impact of the pandemic over the last 18 months. Can the Minister also provide an update on Reveal, Reveal 2023? Well, I recently announced that revaluation for uh, non-domestic properties, uh, and that was delivered on a commitment that there was to more frequent revaluations. Uh, the pandemic has had a dramatic impact 
on the economy, resulting in changes between business sectors, and this will feed through to changes in the rental values of many properties. Uh, the last revaluation exercise was just over a year ago, but I have asked Lanton Property Service to bring forward another revaluation in the shortest possible time. Uh, Reval 2023 will maintain fairness and ensure businesses are paying rates which take account of the impact of the pandemic, and values will be based, based, based sorry, on rental evidence on the 1st of October 2021. Call Peter Weir for a question. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Can I ask the Minister? The Minister obviously outlined the uh, levels of reliefs that have been there during the COVID, which I think are very welcome. Can I ask the Minister what thinking has been given to transitional arrangements so that whenever that 18%, as he mentioned, that has been reduced suddenly doesn't escalate uh, in one jump to a position in which uh, they're resuming to a much higher level of, of rates having to be paid? Well, I think that the reduction was in response to a very long-term uh, lobbying uh, before I came into uh, the position of Finance Minister that they had re there was a recognition in the Department that our business rates are much, much higher, com comparable to basically anywhere else, uh, are much higher. And so the 18% reduction was an attempt to address that. Uh, I, I don't see any argument or logic, uh, you know, albeit the executive needs all the finances available to it, he would understand, uh, but I don't see any logic uh, in trying to put that back up again, particularly in, in uh, response to uh, undoubtedly an economic downturn that's going to follow on the back of the pandemic. Uh, and so I think we, the objective of the executive, as he will know from his time there, uh, was to try and keep businesses afloat, trying to keep our high street and our local uh, businesses uh, as best as we could. So I, I wouldn't see the executive agreeing an exercise which would put a lot of businesses in significant danger of, of, of going out of business altogether. So uh, I, I don't foresee the circumstances where that uh, sudden increase that he talks about will come about. Of course, the revaluation exercise is a redistribution of the rates burden between businesses and the, the importance of doing it on a frequent basis is to make sure there isn't that sudden jolt from a, a value maybe seven, eight, nine years ago up to a new value. Uh, that can create sometimes a, a, a higher level of change. Uh, and so I think we will continue with the objective to try and support businesses in the time ahead, including through the rates. Well, Andrew Muir. Thank you very much, uh, Mr Deputy Speaker, and I thank the Minister for his responses thus far. And I do acknowledge the different issues that have been uh, taken over the last period of time, such as the actual percentage decrease, the commitment to reval 2023, and also the reliefs that have been put in place. But the last review was done in relation to this was by LPS. It was done in-house in 2019. Will the Minister not accept, in order for the business community to have confidence in terms of the rating system, there needs to be an independent review of a rating system, like occurred in Scotland under the Barclay Review? Well, I have to say that I have met, uh, I've met with business organisations more frequently probably than ever over the course of the pandemic addressing a range of issues, obviously in relation to business supports and all that, but also discussing the rates issue. And I've never had that sense that people uh, don't trust the department to do a rates review. Uh, what they want is maximum consultation, and that's already beginning again. I, I did a meeting with business organisations uh, just about two weeks ago in the department uh, to discuss this idea of review. Again, I think people are, are content for the department to do that. They want to make sure that it's open, that's transparent, there's a significant level of consultation. And obviously there are different interests here between what the department needs to do and what businesses would like to see, and that's, that's understandable. What we have to try and do is find a system which is fair, uh, which recognises the burden that businesses are under, but also recognises that the executive does require this resource to support public services as well. So I, I, don't, I, I don't have plans, to be honest, to do a, an independent review. What I, I do uh, intend to do is continue that dialogue with businesses and business organisations to make sure that whatever the department is doing is 
transparent and accessible to them in order that they can make their, their points of view known. I call Rachel Wood. Uh, Mr. Deputy Speaker, um, the Minister's outlined the rate review and, and sort of policy issues that um, had been looked at. But can I ask, um, has the process for calculating business rates changed either by policy or by legislation in the last number of financial years? Not, not that I'm aware. Certainly not in my time. Uh, now, I presume that if it cheered, uh, cleared, sorry, changed in legislation terms, that wouldn't have happened in the previous three years because there was. No legislation going through here, uh, unless it was a policy change, and I'm happy to have a look at that and come back to the member, but certainly not in my time. What we have uh, tried to do, obviously, we've been focused on responding to the, the business needs during the pandemic, but in terms of that rates policy, is to uh, respond to some of the issues that were raised in the consultation in 2018, I think it was 2017, uh, uh, respond to some of that, oh, sorry, it was 2019, just before I came into office, uh, respond to that consultation, implement some of the issues that were raised with us. Uh, and continue to engage with business uh, in the time ahead uh, as we review the policies. I call Doug Beatty for a question. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Question three, Minister. I met the Fiscal Commission Chair and members again last week, uh, where they provided me with an update on their important work to date. The Commission act independently of ministerial and departmental direction, and our agenda covered practical operational issues. They indicated that as part of their work programme, they have now begun meeting a wide range of stakeholders, which I understand included a discussion with yourself on the 21st of June as part of their engagement with political parties. I am pleased with the progress they set out at our last meeting and that they are on target to deliver their final report to me before the end of the current mandate, setting out their recommendations for future tax varying and revenue raising powers here. The incoming executive can then use it as a basis for setting a future position on fiscal devolution issues. Supplementary for Mr. Beattie. Uh, thank you, um, Minister. And, and you're right, I did meet them and I thought it was, it was a fascinating meeting, I've, I've, I've got to say. Uh, and one of the criteria that they raised about this extra tax uh, revenue raising powers was the stability of, of this institutions here. Could I just ask the Minister for his assessment on, on how stable we are? I'm not asking about whether we will tipple or, or not, but, but, but is our instability actually pretty much going to stop us being able to use extra tax raising powers? Well, if, if there is a recommendation uh, to an incoming executive that we do that, that then begins a discussion with Treasury and a negotiation with them. And I presume uh, that one of the issues would uh, come up would be the stability of the institutions. He knows as well as I do in politics, nothing's ever certain. Uh, and while you can assume that, that uh, you know, things are going along in an even keel, uh, events often come in to upend those. Uh, and we've had a fairly unstable, aside from the pandemic, which was uh, in some ways destabilising in terms of our public service, but also I think it was uh, a solidifying exercise for the executive to have to pull together to face that emergency, uh, and the parties that are in the executive have to pull together uh, to face that emergency. But nonetheless, there, there has been a significant instability as well, uh, particularly within one of the executive parties, and that has had an impact. So uh, this, this will be a, a long enough process because it will be a report that will come back to us. It would have to be considered. I am hoping it will generate uh, a debate not only in this institution but a wider public debate. Uh, an incoming executive will have to take a view, and then that begins a period of dialogue with Treasury. So I think there will be uh, ample chance to prove the stability of this institution over the course of that. Uh, Kesht Philip Wigan. 
The Minister will be aware that the way businesses, companies uh, and consumers carry out transactions is changing uh, and obviously will continue to change. So I, I thank the Minister for his update on the work of the Fiscal Commission. Can I ask him further to that update? Uh, if, as part of its uh, wider remit, uh, the Fiscal Commission will consider an online sales tax to help level the playing field between bricks and mortar type businesses and online sales? Well, that, that, this is an issue that has been raised many times, I think, because there is a sense of unfairness, particularly over the, uh, the course of the pandemic, when businesses, our high street business, had to close their doors and online became uh, all the more important and, and they don't have the kind of the same rates. Uh, burden that perhaps uh, a lot of smaller, more local businesses have. Uh, I, I understand that the Treasury are looking at the idea of taxation issues currently, or the, or the remit of the Treasury. I understand they're looking at this area in relation to online businesses, so it will be very interesting to see what comes out of that. Uh, I'm sure the Fiscal Commission will take evidence from people in relation to where they would like to see uh, powers devolved to us. Uh, but I, I, as I said, the Treasury are currently looking at that, and we would like to get a handle on what their, their take on it is, how this can be done. But there, there is certainly a growing sense among representations I get, not just from businesses, but from other MLAs as well, that there is an unfairness in that arrangement between the high street, the local businesses, and the online presence, which doesn't have this, any rates burden or very little rates burden attached to it. Matthew Toole. Question for Matthew Thank you, uh, Deputy Speaker. Uh, Minister, as you know, I've been strongly supportive of, uh, and my party has, of the setting up of the Fiscal Commission. Can you be clear, though, you mentioned that you're expecting the Fiscal Commission to report to you and your department by the end of the mandate. Is that going to be, report going to be laid in the Assembly? You've just said that you think it should, have a, should generate debate in the Assembly, but surely in order to generate that debate, we have to be able to read it. Um, can you confirm that it won't just go to your department? Um, and I'm not accusing your department of, of malfeasance. I'm just saying it would be good for it to be laid here in the Assembly so that we can all read it when it's, when it's uh, ready to go. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, but I, I, from my conversation with them the other day, I mean, they are an independent body. And we will give them whatever support they need, but we're not directing them in any, in any fashion. Uh, but they are uh, I've been asked to report uh, to me. My understanding is they intend to produce an interim report sometime in the autumn, which would, I think would also be a good stimulant to public debate and perhaps further uh, uh, consultation and further input from, generally speaking, the public and, and pol political parties and uh, in business institutions and others, trade unions, uh, into the final report. Uh, and it's my intention, certainly, that the, the purpose of this was to stimulate a debate. Uh, was to hopefully influence an executive to, to uh, engage with this, as Scotland and Wales have done for many, many years now, to engage with this discussion in an informed way, uh, so that an, an incoming executive and assembly could take decisions based on solid information. So, uh, of course, that means that it has to be public. The reports have to be public, uh, and I'm happy to make them. Should it be to lay them in the chamber, tabling them for debate, uh, whatever that requires, I'm, I'm very happy to make sure that uh, an interim report and a final report are made public. To date, the 10K top-up payments have been issued to 1,173 businesses that received the 25,000 retail, hospitality, tourism and leisure grant last year. The total value of those payments to date is £11.5 million. The 5K top-up payments have been issued to 12,114 businesses that received the 10,000 Small Business Support Grant last year. The total value of those payments to date is £60.4 million. Businesses that did not receive an automatic top-up payment and any businesses which started to trade between the 20th of May 2020 and the 1st of March 2021 have been able to apply for the top-up grant since the 30th of June 2021. 
I expect the payments resulting from these applications to start issuing to businesses before the end of this month. Thank the Minister for his answer thus far. And I welcome the interventions that he and his department have made, particularly the latest uh, top-up payments to many businesses who were relying on it. Has the Minister any thoughts on those businesses who have multiple premises as to whether there is going to be support offered to those? Yes, we have long recognised that uh, a number of sectors, uh, and the multiples being one of them, uh, didn't, weren't able to avail of, of, of much, if any, support o over the course of the pandemic. And so we have always been striving to try and find a way, or encouraging other departments to find a way to provide support to those businesses. We have engaged with people representing multiples uh, over the last while, and we are committed to looking at a scheme which we hope will provide them some support in the autumn, and we will work that through with them. Thank you for your answers thus far. Some 13,000 businesses did not qualify for support during the most recent lockdown. They were not forced to close, but nonetheless, they were seriously impacted due to the stay-at-home message. Can the Minister confirm that all of these businesses, many of which are family-owned businesses in the community, have received grants from his, his department? Well, what we have endeavoured to do uh, is to not only provide support, uh, and we had to do that by regulation. So the regulations are brought forward by the Health Department. They tell us which businesses are obliged to close and which businesses can remain open. And we can't, by law, pay businesses which remain open under the LRSS scheme. Uh, we are forbidden to do so. So we have tried to find other ways to support some of those, uh, and included in this question, the 10K top-up and the 5K top-up, where businesses that could remain open which have been able to avail of this support. Now, I can't guarantee that covers absolutely every business, because some businesses have been excluded on the basis that they were operating quite well. Uh, during, the, uh, during the lockdown, there were some businesses that experienced an upturn in trade. Uh, so, as far as we can, we have been uh, not only doing the LRSS scheme to so many businesses, but we have, been, uh, we have been using the money that was left over at the end of the financial year ourselves to generate a scheme uh, such as this, which will support further businesses. And, and just in relation to this top-up scheme alone, uh, at the moment, it's, it's delivered over £70 million across businesses, with more to go out as businesses apply for it. Andrew Muir for a question. Thank you very much, uh, Mr Deputy Speaker. And I'd like to express my thanks to all the staff within his department for the work that they have done in distributing the grant assistance um, over, well, over well over a year, really, to be honest, in very challenging circumstances. Uh, the public health restrictions are still in place, and they're affecting businesses in many different ways. Given the example, within a, a, a public house, uh, not, you don't go to the bar, it's all table service. And I've had businesses contact me who operate slot machines, so their businesses just collapse because people aren't walking around the bar. Is there any consideration being given to assisting businesses which are still affected by the public health restrictions? Because for some of them, it's proven very difficult to continue now. Well, can I say, firstly, there was always a recognition that whatever support we could distribute through all of the grant schemes that we did, the Department of the Economy did, the Department of Communities did, uh, was never going to replace lost trade. It was just really to try and, because we wouldn't have the resource to do that, uh, it was to try and give businesses a fighting chance of staying in business until such times as we hopefully could get back to normal trading on the other side of this pandemic. Uh, but uh, I have to say the regulations in relation to what we can do in this regard are set by health. They, determine which business, they did determine which businesses could close and which businesses would remain open. And we weren't by law allowed to assist businesses that weren't required to close uh, in relation to that. So, but we always do recognise that even where businesses were allowed to open up, 
Uh, and that's why the rates holiday was applied to certain sectors of businesses, the ones that we recognise would continue to, to struggle, even if they, particularly in the hospitality and tourism sector, even if their businesses were out open. Uh, certainly, the, the, the restrictions that they had to operate in would mean that they would do less business. So, the rates holiday was one way to try and offset some of that. But there's always a recognition that it never would replace the lost trade that they would have. But it, it really just try and give people a fighting chance to stay open until such time as they came back to full trade. The next question is remotely, so could we please bring Declan McAleer onto the screens, please? Am I who Declan? Um, Grandma, good last can call you. In line with the NDNA commitment, the Executive Subcommittee on Reform was established to consider the recommendations of the RHI report in full and to oversee their implementation. The subcommittee met in July, November and December in 2020. Members of the Executive Subcommittee agreed a draft report setting out the response to the inquiry and the actions that are required to fulfil the remaining recommendations from the inquiry report. This report was forwarded to the Executive for agreement on the 26th of March this year. The subcommittee also agreed a number of changes to the guidance for ministers, the Special Advisor Code of Conduct, in light of the recommendations of the inquiry. They have also been provided to the Executive Office for consideration. I thank the Minister for his response. Uh, does the Minister agree with me that if the public are to have confidence in these institutions, there should be no delay in the implementation of the recommendations from the RHI report? Well, I do agree with the member, and uh, it's a source of some frustration to me that, that a number of months on from this was submitted to the executive. Uh, we're still waiting on it to be dealt with. The subcommittee was made up of representation from all parties in the executive, and the, the, the report was agreed by all of the members of the subcommittee. So I, I'm struggling to understand what the delay in terms of getting this to the executive proper, uh, getting it agreed and getting it implemented is. Uh, but nonetheless, I agree with him that the longer this runs on, uh, the more I think it damages uh, in terms of confidence uh, that the executive is going to take the, the issues that were raised in the report and to uh, respond to them in a proper and timely fashion. I call Jim Allister. Given the excessive delay by the executive, maybe it's a good thing that we got through some reforms under the Functioning of Government Miscellaneous Provisions uh, Act. But could I ask the Minister, as well as reform, the other burning issue with many people when they viewed the wreckage of RHI and the mishandling of things was the, was the question, well, is there any discipline? And that's the, could the Minister update the House? Has anyone within the civil service been disciplined for their actions or inactions during RHI and did uh, uh, bringing forward retirement cause many to escape discipline? Well, there, there was, as he knows from his membership of the Finance Committee, there were a number of uh, civil servants who were reported for, for their investigation and uh, potentially disciplinary issues resulting from that. Uh, some people did retire in the interim, uh, which uh, I think is unfortunate in terms of a, a, a proper and, and publicly understood outcome uh, to the inquiry's recommendations. Uh, there are still ongoing matters because there are some legal matters uh, being challenged in relation to that. So they have not yet concluded, uh, and of course we have undertaken to provide uh, the committee with as much information as we can provide them, uh, subject to legal advice in relation to ongoing legal matters in the time ahead. 
I called Kelly Armstrong. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. Can the Minister provide his initial assessment of the impact of the functioning of Government Miscellaneous Provisions Bill on the workings of the Executive and Special Advisers? Well, there, I, mean, I, I spoke against the Bill. And I made my, my views uh, very clear in relation to it. I thought some of the, the propositions within it were impractical, uh, and some of them actually probably contradicted a delivery of the good government. Uh, but nonetheless, the, the bill was passed in, in the final format uh, once amendments were uh, sorted through by the Assembly here. And the Department immediately, as, as, as it was obliged to do, uh, has provided a report to all departments on what they need to do to make sure and observe the legislation that was passed. Uh, and that has caused uh, some uh, changes in terms of reporting and uh, other matters in recording, uh, some, a lot of issues which were already addressed in the RHI and, and, and uh, report itself and would have been coming through uh, in terms of the executive subcommittee and the executive response anyway. But uh, we have ensured that the matters which, which flowed from the bill uh, have been uh, distilled down, distributed to all departments to make sure that people fully understand the requirements that are now in law. We have time for a quick question. New tackle new approach commitments envisage that the number of arm's length bodies will be rationalised and there will be efficiency savings, a strengthening of democratic control and improved accountability. The Executive subsequently agreed to a review of the ALBs to meet this commitment in June 2020. Following this initial analysis, the Executive has now been asked to agree to the way forward in respect of the review of the arms length bodies. Subject to the Executive's decision, it would be for individual departments to consider their respective ALBs and the way forward on an organisation by organisation basis. In line with the priority in NDNA, Department of Finance will maintain and publish a record of ALB reviews undertaken and the outcome. Department of Finance is preparing legislation that would enable departments to make any changes that would be required as a result of the reviews. And that ends the period for listed questions. We will now move to 15 minutes of topical questions, and I call Doug Beattie. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Minister, the, the central access point for abortion services uh, is run by the charity Informing Choices NI, uh, and they are about to run out of their funding. Would the Minister consider um, assisting them with funding? Well, normally the request for funding will come from a department which has a responsibility uh, for that organisation or has a relationship of some uh, shape with that organisation. Uh, so I'm very happy to consider any request that might come forward from a department uh, for assistance in that regard. Uh, and I'm sure that there are vital services that are being provided uh, to women. Uh, but uh, it would really require, rather than the Department of Finance going out to look for that, it would require a, a sponsoring department to come forward who, who would within the ambit of that department, this organisation uh, would operate. I assume uh, perhaps the Department of Health or perhaps maybe the Department of Justice in that regard, but certainly if such a request comes in, I'm more than happy to consider that with the relevant department and to talk to the executive. Supplementary question, Mr Beattie. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And, and I thank the Minister because he, he identifies, I mean, this is a really important uh, service for, 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 for women. Uh, and the monies that we're talking about is relatively small, 150 £150,000, uh, I think, for, for, for the year. And given the pressures uh, uh, that the health service is under in regards to um, waiting lists, in regards to the mental health strategy, and they already ask in regards to that, uh, and I guess I've, I've raised it, so I don't really have a follow-on question, but, but I absolutely take on board what, what the Minister has said. I, 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 yeah, 
as I said, I, I'm happy to look at that. I also remind them that it's not just departments that can be sources of this. You know, for instance, uh, particularly voluntary and community sector groups, uh, the, the Dormant Accounts Fund, which has been uh, delivered to the, the National Lottery, uh, does look at resilience uh, in organisations to make sure that they don't get to the point where they're almost going out of existence because of a lack of support, that they can build up resilience. And a number of other organisations will support uh, these the charities and other, other groups like that. So, uh, by all means, I'm happy to look at that, but they should also be looking to other sources of funding too. The member is not in his place for question number two, and question three has been withdrawn, so I therefore call Paula Bradley. Mr Deputy Speaker, Minister, you'd be aware that social clauses have been in place um, within the Department for Communities for, for some years, especially when it comes to building homes within the social sector. So it's just how do you see that working alongside the social value model that you brought along to the Chamber this morning? Well, I see, I see it certainly enhancing uh, because a number of departments uh, in my own time back in DRD, we had social clauses in terms of uh, some road service contracts to try and achieve some good social outcomes to them. But the problem with things such as this, it was kind of intermittent. There wasn't uniform, there wasn't a standard process for assessing social value and scoring social value. And that's why I think the, the uh, paper that I brought to the Executive and I reported on this morning to the, or to the Assembly uh, will bring that standardised process across all departments uh, a minimum scoring, uh, a minimum threshold, uh, and I think that will enhance uh, what the good work that some departments have been doing anyway uh, off their own bat uh, in relation to this, and, and, and ensure that those who are awarding the contracts, but also those who are bidding for them, have a clear understanding of what's required, uh, that everybody's operating on the same playing field, uh, and, and I think it will lead to much better outcomes and much better social outcomes as well. Paula Bradley for a supplementary. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker, and I thank the Minister for his answer. And the Minister, um, as he knows, many of those social clauses, um, especially within the construction sector, they were unable to actually utilise them to their full extent because they, they, they weren't written awfully well and have been around a long time. So it's just saying to just further on from that, um, any conversations he's had with the Minister for the Economy um, around the apprenticeships, and we, I know in your statement today you'd said about bringing jobs to deprived areas and very much that whole social model. Um, I can see how that could work within those areas? I mean, the, the discussion in relation to this matter went to the executive and part of the change that we brought to the procurement is to make sure that rather than just being a Department of Finance policy, which we try to get other departments to adopt, that this is brought to the executive and gets that sort of stamp of approval from the entire executive and then hopefully gets a uniform approach throughout all of those departments because executive ministers are then obliged to follow through uh, in relation to that. Uh, so I have a dialogue with a range of ministers in, in relation uh, to all of this, but uh, we, we certainly do want to see an improvement uh, across the board in that we, we want to see uh, procurement used in that fashion, but where departments can uh, achieve better social outcomes with some of the work they're doing, uh, then uh, by all means, what we're setting is a minimum standard. It doesn't mean that it stops or departments can do other things and, and can bring other improvements. We procure about £3 billion worth of goods and services each year. That has an enormous power to achieve an awful lot of other social good. Uh, and I, I'm hoping that, that the consequence of that policy we've brought through now will allow the executive to do that right across the board. Could we bring Sinead McLaughlin to the screens, please? Uh, Sinead, while that case to her in Ireland, thank you, Speaker. Minister, Minister, I'm very concerned um, about the state of our town and city centres. They have been in decline for many, many years now, and I suppose the pandemic has exacerbated that decline. Um, have you been given consideration to how to radically review 
um, the fiscal policy that we have in relation to taxation um, of businesses. Uh, and um, if so, can you can you give me uh, some step-by-step uh, -step points that you have taken in order to, to make sure that that review takes place uh, very quickly? Well, the only fiscal policy that we have currently that can be of that type of assistance to town centres is the rates policy. Uh, and of course, uh, what we have done is, uh, in response to the pandemic, uh, is given a two-year uh, rates holiday to a substantial number of businesses at the cost of half a billion pounds uh, to the executive. We also had reduced the, the uh, non-domestic rate by uh, 18 per cent last year. We have kept it at that 18 per cent reduction. Uh, and we have also, I, I suppose, in terms of trying to support business, we have given out, as, as the Member is well aware, of a variety of business support grants uh, through a number of departments. Uh, we have also fully funded the economic recovery package, uh, which the Department of the Economy uh, will use then to try and support uh, town centres uh, and other businesses to try and, and assist recovery from the pandemic. So I think there is a broad recognition that our high streets have been in trouble for some time, uh, that wherever we can use whatever devices are available to the executive in terms of support, that we should be doing that. We should be acting collectively across a number of departments. And I have seen you know, the Department of Communities have an interest, the Department for Infrastructure, uh, in terms of the parklets. Uh, some of the parklet schemes were launched uh, last weekend. Uh, these are all things that collectively can contribute to improving uh, town centres, and I think the executive should be working right across all departments to try and do what we can do with the limited resources and fiscal levers that we have at our disposal. Um, so far, but Minister, do you believe that we should be incentivising businesses to actually set up in our town centres? At the minute, the fiscal policy that we actually operate actually penalises businesses that set up. Um, the level there's no level playing field here. Um, bricks and mortar are penalised and taxed for setting up in city centres, while online shopping has uh, experienced great growth in recent years, and it's not going to go away. So therefore, we need our complete review of how we, we do business uh, and taxation here um, uh, in Northern Ireland. And I would like to see you, Minister, as being uh, a leader. Does the member um, have a question, please? No, I would just question. that, that right. is okay, question. Thank you. Is he going to be a leader and a champion for uh, delivering uh, fiscal policy that is different and incentivising uh, businesses? I will be a champion, of course, uh, for businesses, as, as we have distributed an enormous amount of relief and support to businesses, uh, which wasn't the function of my own department uh, in this time, uh, to them to make, try and ensure that businesses have a chance of survival uh, as a consequence of the pandemic. We have, as, as the member knows, established the Fiscal Council to look at the idea of other fiscal levers for the executive. The only one we have at the moment is rates. It contributes about 10 per cent of the executive's finances. They are used to try and protect very vital public services, which serve Derry and other places, uh, as the member will know, uh, and are hugely important to us. So it's always that balance between trying to do that. In relation to the online uh, uh, presence, that's a, a, an issue for taxation, uh, which is currently with the Treasury, and I know they are actually looking at the issue of online uh, because there is an unfairness between uh, small local businesses in town centres uh, are struggling against that online presence, and it does not bear the same level of, of rates burden uh, that, that uh, town centre shops do. Uh, and so that is something that can be examined there. But uh, I would be hoping that the Fiscal Commission will look at a range of issues in terms of the fiscal levers available to the executive, and we use them to try and support local businesses and local jobs in the time ahead. I call Robbie Butler for a question. 
Deputy Speaker, thank the Minister for his answer so far. Um, COVID has uh, thrust workers and workforces into different ways of operating. Um, is the Minister considering developing policies or the further development of an existing policy to enable people to work from home in his own department or maybe across the civil service? Yes, uh, I mean, a, a lot of trends which were already happening in terms of workforce, uh, I think, have been uh, uh, accelerated significantly by the experience of the pandemic and the, and the, the reliance on people and the uh, enforcement of people working from home. Uh, and so I think it will have huge implications for the way the civil service works uh, and uh, implications for the civil service estate as well. Uh, and uh, you can see already in terms of private sector, people are reassessing. Uh, what office space they need and, and how people will work going forward. And, and thankfully, in recent reports, I've seen sick levels have actually reduced significantly over the experience of the pandemic, where people have, have been able to get that work-life balance uh, much better and that home balance uh, better. So we, we are looking very much to reviewing uh, how, how, we do, uh, how we do workforce uh, planning within the civil service. We are looking at that idea of a blended approach of a mixture between being in the office and being able to work from home. That requires IT support and a range of other matters, which, which we have accelerated over the course of the pandemic. Uh, and we've also, I'm sure he'll be aware, uh, begun the establishment of a, a, a ring, if you like, of, of uh, hubs where people uh, can, can, if they can't work from home or if they prefer to be in an office environment, that they aren't required to travel in or to Belfast five days a week, that there are regional centres where people can go to. And that will have the added impact of ensuring there's an economic boost for those centres as well. So there are a whole range of measures now to be considered in terms of where people work from, what the work-life balance is like, that blended approach to work in the regional hubs uh, and what we require in terms of civil service state and the improvements in IT that can assist all of that. That's all in the mix at the moment and will be part of a, a longer-term civil service review. Supplementary question for Mr Butler. Thank you, Mr Principal Speaker. I welcome the Minister's very positive um, answer. Would the, would the Minister agree with me, whilst there is a balance to be struck between um, uh, enabling working from home uh, and, and the multiple benefits that you have explained, um, that there may actually be benefits towards those who find it hard to gain employment, particularly single-parent families and women, and there may be actual benefits uh, further than those that we have already identified. Yes. I agree with them. I think it is recognised that uh, you know, if you have that ability to, to work from home, then the, the burden, unfortunately, of, of a lot of home organisation falls on women unfairly, but that is the way it, it falls. Uh, and I think the opportunity for people to do more blended working then actually makes more accessible uh, particularly in relation to civil service jobs, which previously would require you to spend an hour on the road in the morning, an hour on the road in the evening, coming in and out of Belfast, uh, or two hours, however, however the journey might be. Uh, and I think also the idea of the regional hubs then will mean people from more peripheral areas uh, uh, then I think suddenly are open, the, the jobs in the civil service are opened up to them as well. People from uh, border areas uh, that, you know, the idea of that travel in and out, that commute uh, was a, a big challenge in terms of considering opportunities within the, the public sector anyway, and, and probably similarly within the private sector. So I think it will give us a more diverse and a more balanced workforce and, and create more accessibility to employment for people. I think that's to be uh, regarded as a good thing in the time ahead. Karen Mullen for I call Karen Mullen for a question. Minister, have you received any indication that the spending review will make provision for a multi-annual budget settlement or additional funds to tackle health waiting lists? Well, we ha I, I 
was in London a number of weeks back, and I spoke to the Chancellor and did a meeting with him, and he assured us that we are the spent review will, will deliver a multi-annual budget, which is what the executive has been seeking for some time, which gives us at least the opportunity to plan ahead uh, and, and to try and deal with some of the big transformation issues like the health service. We have no indication of any additional uh, finances for that tran uh, transformational work, uh, but we will continue to press the case for that uh, over the time ahead, because if we are to get to, uh, particularly in relation to our health service, if we are to get uh, you know, things like the waiting list reduced and the type of changes that we need to see within the health system, then we need a very significant investment uh, from the executive into that. And so we will press the case uh, for that support. I know that the British Prime Minister, in terms of responding to the pandemic, said one of the issues they wanted to see was support for the health service. We, we hope that that translates uh, to support for our health service here as well. Okay, we have time for a quick supplementary. Thank you, Minister. You, you had answered my supplementary, so I was just going to ask you for an update and then conversations with the Exchequer. So thank you so much for that. Good um, uh, The time is up now, uh, so members just take their ease, please, while we move to the next um, questions to the Minister for Health.